This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a mini-episode of Set Leslie Bruce, the podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and thank you so much for downloading this special bonus mini-episode. Set Lusting Bruce has been nominated for a Podcast People's Choice Awards, and these mini-episodes are my way of saying thank you for the support and also a reminder for you to go vote. Voting is going to take place from Sunday, May 29th to Sunday, June 12th. Each listener can vote once a day. Set Lusting Bruce is nominated under the music category, and I would appreciate if you would go to www.podcastawards.com. That's www.podcastawards.com every day for the next two weeks and vote for us. While you're there, check out the other categories and see if there are podcasts you want to support. One suggestion I have is under comedy to vote for Matt and Mattingly's Ice Cream Social. Matt is a big Springsteen fan and has actually joined me on an episode coming up. So it would be nice for everyone to give their show a little love as well. It is great to be nominated, but I would love to show the world the power of Bruce fandom and win this thing, my fellow Bruce Butts. Now here is your mini episode. Oh, I wish I were a real Alaskan girl. I wish that I could hold my beer. I could wear hip waders in summer and heels at ten below. I'd have sexy woolly legs with long and flowing frozen hair. Oh, to be a scow girl in the last frontier. Where chicks run the Iditarod and win it. Oh, I could wrench on my own goose and I would jerk my own moose and I'd drive a huge domestic truck and actually haul stuff in it. A little less sugar, a little more spice. A whole lot of fire and even more ice. From guns of you to catch a can, from dead horse to a tube. Alaskan chicks can teach a city girl like me. A thing or two Oh, I wish I were a real Alaskan girl Because I hear that they kick ass Oh, it's easy to see why a local woman's in demand The guys have took you up for years To get a chance to hold your hand I'd find me some big burly bush pilot boy I would hook and reel him in and fiance But if he ever double-crossed me or tried to do me wrong I wouldn't hardly hesitate to skin gut and belay him I'd shoot more than a camera at the animals and such I'd eat a root 
blowing up a lunch. Oh, Alaskan girls are fearsome and fearless by design. They kill mosquitoes with a look and mess with trusting tourist minds. They're ruggedly handsome in their way. They're wild and free and meant to be that way. So from Jackalove to Juno, raise a glass to a proud and confident and deserving Alaskan woman, you know. And from Beaver to Tatidlik, here's to ladies who understand that their self-image should have nothing whatsoever to do with their shade of lipstick. Oh, I wish I were a real Alaskan girl, but when it comes down to it, for most of us, Los Anchorage is gonna have to do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a B-side episode of Set Lusting Bruce. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and if you think I sound excited, it's because I am. I have one of my favorite musical artists on the show today, and I am thrilled. Marion, welcome to Set Lusting Bruce. Thank you so, so much, Jesse. Um, This is Marion Call, and why don't you tell a little bit about yourself? Um, I am a very small-time indie musician, but I'm uh, but uh, what I lack in massive audience size, I make up for in endurance. I've got ten albums out. I've been touring for the last nine years, and I uh, have played all fifty states. I've played Europe three times and Canada. Uh, all my shows are really small, but they are um, just a lot of fun, and my my fan base is really dedicated. So it's it's great. It's a uh, Music that attracts kind of, I think, nerdy, nerdy, thoughtful wordplay kind of people. And uh, and so, yeah, it's my fans are like a family and we have a lot of fun. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I first heard of Marion when uh, QMX, um, the provider of really cool, you know, um, geek collectibles. You know, they do a lot of props and a lot of things. And I, I kind of want to hear that story because they put out an <laughs> album uh this was the first time they did and so it was really neat because when i saw you at port david's pub you're like oh you had one of the original versions of the uh <laughs> cd so um before we get to that tell me about your musical origins what kind of music did you listen to growing up was your family very musical Oh yeah, my family are uh, my parents are musicians. They were kind of the the local town fiddlers, if you know what I mean. My father plays piano and conducts, and my mother plays flute and sings and writes songs. And uh, when I was growing up, they were the local wedding musicians, church musicians, party musicians, barbecue, everything. They just played every kind of gig, and they both taught music as well. So me and my siblings are all musicians. Uh, my sister and I professionally, my brother on the side. And uh, that was just part of our upbringing. And since it was part of our upbringing, we grew up listening to classical music and jazz. And so I was a total nerd in high school. I didn't know any of the cool bands. <laughs> I really like I, I missed a lot of what was happening in pop music, unfortunately, until about the late 90s. Uh, but I've been trying to catch up ever since. Um, <laughs> when did you graduate high school? Uh, 2000. Okay. So I always like to get that, you know, because of the era of what you're going through. Oh, yeah. Okay. The, the yeah. temporal, yeah, the temporal placement. Yeah, I yeah. had, 
I think back then, I mean, pre-iTunes, a lot of us just had access in high school to our parents' record collection, right? And so I find that people have these weird little pockets of music they know and music they don't from the pre-digital age, you know? And the music I knew, I mean, there were some of the great bands. Like I, I my, my dad was really into Yes. My mom really loved funk. So we had tons of like Earth, Wind & Fire and Tower of Power around the house. But aside from that, the musicians that I really learned were like Ella Fitzgerald and Oscar Peterson and uh, Tom Lehrer and Beethoven and Bach. And uh, yeah, I, I probably knew more about um, uh, Glenn Gould, the pianist who's known for interpreting Bach, than I knew about pretty Elton. much all the bands of the 70s taken together. Elton John, right? You knew <laughs> more John, about exactly. it. Oh, how funny. Uh-huh. Um, I discovered the Beatles in college, and it was such a revelation. It was like, oh, my God. It was great. <laughs> I could see this going, hey, have you heard of this band? They're awesome. Exactly. That happened to me a lot, and it was embarrassing. But slowly That's... getting up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hear a little bit of the Ella Fitzgerald and that jazz in your music. I could see that influence, whether it's conscious or unconscious. I see a little bit of that with you. Oh, yeah, that was my training. I, I was trained as a classical and a jazz musician growing up. So I, uh, I got a degree in composition in college. And uh, but it was it was not at all like songwriting or pop music. It was not at all what I'm doing now. It was like more for if you wanted to write for film or you wanted to be a professor of composition and write weird, unlistenable stuff. Uh, that was kind of what my training was in. And then I left college and I realized I didn't want to do any of that at all. I just wanted to make songs, and and so that's where that's when I actually started my music career, which was just writing instead of, uh, uh, yeah, writing writing popular songs instead of you know the classical stuff, and that made me very happy. <laughs> so growing up the way you did, I guess just it truly is performances in your blood. <laughs> yeah, probably. I think I was on stage from before I can remember singing. So wow. That's and uh, but it's also it's like the family trade, right? It's like being a family of plumbers or something. Yes. Our, we, we have a very sort of um, a functional, practical, uh, affectionate approach to music and, and to performance instead of it being this mystical, high away, you know, far off, far away, unreachable sort of art. It was just it was it was our craft. What your story reminds me of my um, my wife's older brother has four children and his oldest is a drummer in a heavy metal band that actually performs here in Dallas and they're doing okay. His um, second daughter is got her degree in architecture, but she now lives in North Carolina on a commune. It's like building handmade furniture and such. And her, <laughs> his youngest brother, his youngest son, um, left school and walked the Appalachian Trail to kind of get himself. <laughs> and his oldest daughter, the second, got her degree in law, and she is a lawyer. And I'm like, Ellie, you're kind of the black sheep of the family, right? <laughs> and the only thing that makes it um, she kind of laughs about because she's always loved music and so she's actually – we were talking a little bit about the Night Owls, that band from Austin. She sings in that band, and her husband is the band leader. So um, so she even her, has that musical background. But So I'm just thinking, did any of your siblings go into something very corporate? 
Oh, no, no, we're all, my brother is a tailor. He's a bespoke tailor. He makes, he's one of the few people in the country who still makes, you know, will make a suit jacket or a suit from, you know, from scratch, every stitch by hand. Wow. And uh, he's in Seattle and he played banjo, accordion and trumpet and would write songs. Uh, and he, uh, and my sister is a professional cello teacher and, and she's in a band as well called, uh, 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 something about bears. They just changed their name. They used to be called form of, Oh, how and, fun. and their name now has to do with bears. <laughs> Very nice. Um, did, wh- I, I do want to hear the story. So why, how did QMX, this CD, was that your first CD? That was my second CD, actually. QMX uh, contacted me because they heard my first CD. Um, And Andy at QMX uh, was pretty cool about – he had licenses at that time just for – uh, his company makes, you know, prop replicas and kind of fan stuff for TV shows. Right. And they only had licenses then for uh, Serenity, Firefly, Battlestar Galactica, and um, Stargate. That's right. Yes. And now they have a ton of other ones. They do Doctor Who, they do Star Trek, they have a bunch of stuff. And if you see a really gorgeous high-end couple thousand dollar replica of a spaceship that looks like it could be used for model shooting, they probably made it. That's QMX's sort of corner of the nerd market. Right. Um, But they're also great about giving um, kind of beginning artists a chance to try some stuff. So, And several of my friends have had a chance to sort of make something strange for them. Just, you know, they contacted me and said, you want to make an album? And I said, you guys make props. Are you sure you want to make an album? Mm -hmm. And uh, and Andy, who was in charge there, was adamant that it would be a good thing. And he was right. I mean, it uh, uh, I don't know how well it sold for them exactly, but they did sell everything that they made. And so they they, you know, made their money back on it. And it really launched my career. Uh, I was writing kind of. uh, I wasn't writing like um, it wasn't or something. It wasn't all literally about this, about the subject matter of these sci-fi shows, but it was obliquely it was in a way that uh, pleased me. I think good art makes you make more art, right? I, Absolutely. That happens all the time now. That some uh, some amazing movie or some amazing book will make someone write a song, and I felt that Firefly and Battlestar Galactica were absolutely worthy of writing. You know pieces about that were uh, I uh, I don't know that my grandma wouldn't know was about a sci-fi show you know yes because <laughs> they're also about the human experience so yeah we call it we call it discre- discrete geek not in that it's hiding something right that, but in that if I have something to say about these shows um, I want it not just to be you know nerd bait hey look I'm making references. Right. But I want I wanted it to be deep and thoughtful, so um, yeah. that's kind of my niche, my little corner of the music world. <laughs> and I I totally agree. Um, and there's nothing wrong. I I love you know, she, she doesn't like Firefly that went viral a few years ago, and and the uh-huh. double clicks <laughs> and a lot of other things, and and you know and filk music and things like this. But yours is a very singer songwriter beautiful you know songs that have the whole range of you know you do funny songs you do love songs you talk about you know friendship and avocados and just a little bit of everything (laughs) and but there are some because my wife who was also thrilled that I was getting to talk to you because she's a huge fan. Um, yeah, she, you know, she went and downloaded after we saw you the first time at Port David's Pub. 
uh, you know, she downloaded every CD she could find from you and, <laughs> and, you know, loves them. And so she has no idea, you know, she's never watched an episode of Battlestar Galactica. She's never, she might've seen a couple of fireflies cause I made her, but she <laughs> loved your music and loved the emotion in it. Oh, that's great. I think that the if, if those shows are good or if any of like science fiction or fantasy stories are good, they're good because they tap into the universal human stuff about right. us, right? You know, they just happen to be set in space or yep. in with castles and fairies, you know? Exactly. But, uh, and I want to make music that uh, does the same thing. Although I definitely have several songs that are straight up filk or straight up goofs or straight up, you know, just silly yeah, but I love the internet era because it's you don't have to just do that, you know. Right. You don't have you don't have to, and, and I've talked about this with friends like the Double Clicks too. That you don't have to, you know, no one's going to blink an eye anymore if you write a ridiculous, silly song and then a serious one. And if a record label had you, they wouldn't know what to do with you. They'd be like, "Look, you're going to be Weird Al or go home." You know, it's yes. either either Doctor Demento or we don't know where you fit. And I love making music. You know, now, because I can say all these different things and people can handle different ideas coming from the same artist. It's a wonderful time. Um, <laughs> you know, I was lucky enough to get to know Sarah Hickman from Austin um, and through her career. And she has gone through a couple oh, of different labels. <laughs> and yeah, and, but she has the same problem. She doesn't write the same kind of song because that bores her. And. Uh, when she was with Electra, I know they were like, okay, I, I don't know how to sell you. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, and so you're right. This time, I I do think it's amazing, and we're going to give everyone the links on how to reach you and how to get your music and to support you. But I love the fact that you can say, okay, Kickstarter or Patreon, I'm doing some music, and here you can help me. <laughs> It's been pretty amazing. I mean, it, I, uh, you don't need a very big group of committed people to make stuff happen. Like I'm, I've made, I've made what, this is going to be my 10th record, I think in 10 years. I don't know if I finish it before the end of the year, we'll see. Uh, it's, uh, uh, and the fans have been with me every step of the way, but it doesn't take that many people. Like I just have to, the nice thing about music now, um, is that you don't have to listen to everything. You just go find the little corner of music that interests you. And it doesn't matter if those people are famous or not. Um, you, if, in fact, if they're not famous, you can connect with them directly. And the great thing for musicians is you don't have to be famous to everyone. You don't have to appeal to everyone like the record labels used to need you to appeal to everyone. You can simply appeal to your own little corner of the internet and hang out with them and have parties. And that's what I feel like it is, uh, you know, touring and doing Kickstarters and things. And it's really great. Like at first my fans were just strangers on the internet, but now they're, they're my friends and I've slept on their couches and I know their kids and their pets. And, and I'm so excited to go back and see them again in whatever city. And I, I like that life much better than, you know, the rock star life. Right. <laughs> so it's, it sounds kind of horrible actually, the more you think about it. It is. <laughs> Marion, you were the first person I'd ever seen on your website talking about house concerts. Um, so I'm sure you weren't the first person that invented this, but you were the first person from my perspective that <laughs> offered that. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about why you decided to do that and kind of how this works out for you? 
Oh, yeah. Um, I think I love house concerts. They're one of my preferred concert venues, actually. If I have a house that I know is a good concert space and we'll have some people who want to come and hang out, and then that's my preferred space in town, you know, unless there's too many people. But uh, the reason it's my preferred space is because some people want some bands you want to like cut loose and dance to make a lot of noise and yell and have fun you know that's uh, uh like my sister's band would be that kind of band you know where you you uh it's it's loud it's fun and you're interacting with friends my music is better in a completely quiet room like it would be great to do it in theaters for example like small theaters right um but i can't afford theaters because if you do a show at a small theater you have to make so much money yes money dollars and it's not going to make a tour happen so i'm as well instead of you know the cost of renting a theater for the night and all the promotion that goes along with that i figured i might as well instead of having 300 people and walking away with 500 dollars, which I've, I've had 300 people at a show and walked away with 100 dollars, it was embarrassing you know just because the costs are so much right uh, i decided why not have a show with 50 people and everyone throws 10 bucks or 20 bucks in the hat and i walk away with five or six hundred dollars um, and that sounds like a lot until you pay your guitarist, buy several meals, a tank of gas, and drive all day and get plane tickets for everyone where they need to go to make the tour happen. So, right. Um, <laughs> and, pay, and pay your rent besides. Um, so house concerts, A, make more financial sense. B, I like the connection. Like it's quiet and you're close to people. They're kind of caught off guard because they're not used to going to concerts there. And um, you can really talk to everyone there in a way you can't at a venue. Like I usually meet almost everyone at a house concert. And I love that. Um, and I can take requests and we can be really casual. And the food is great because, and you know, it's free food for everyone, which is awesome. Like it's usually kind of potluck or barbecue or something. Right. And that costs the people, the people coming to the concert, that costs them, you know, 80 bucks less than going out for a night. Right. Right. And, you know, between the price of the ticket and the parking and the food and everything and the childcare, whatever. Uh, plus they can bring the kids most of the time, you know, it's like, right. it's, it's really, really fun to me and it's really old like i think that's how music was always experienced i mean people you had to be in the same small room as a musician before amplification so it's really just in the last like hundred years that our venues have even gotten any bigger than a few hundred seats and and house concerts are the way that most people have experienced most music through most of history i feel nice and connected to that <laughs> uh, you know it is i um my father was loved playing guitar and when for a while there when we were living in kentucky you know we would have on saturday nights um this is in you know the late 60s early 70s because i graduated high school in 77 so i'm you know i'm 10 or 12 and the living room would be filled with got you know men with guitars um, smoke everywhere, you know, because everyone smoked back <laughs> yeah. then. And but they would just take requests and play and just would. Well, I don't know that one, but I'll fake it. And you know, and they would. And I can remember as a kid, just loving that sense of family and music and how much fun it was. So that seems to me what a house concert would feel like without the smoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, that's essentially what it's like. Well, and you'll kind of get a preview because next time I'm in town, 
uh, I'm going to be playing in a game shop. And I've played a lot of game stores and comic book shops. And then is because it's totally quiet and it's free for everyone involved. You know, like right. that, that matters to me that people can come. Yeah. Uh, that my tickets are affordable and that my tour still is solvent, you know? So, uh, but yeah, when we same. play at a game store, it's very different than at Fort David's. I love Fort David's. Yeah. Um, but at a game store, more intimate, quiet, will barely be amplified. We'll be right up close and chatting. There's no green room. We just all kind of hang out and it's really right. fun. And maybe we can play a uh, Twilight Imperium real quick afterwards. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I see you've got a house concert in Houston on June 25th, and then you're playing at Roll to Play Games in Capel, Texas, on June 26th at 3 p.m., and uh looks like you're trying to work on uh, some Austin and San Antonio gigs. So uh, Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to push too hard because I okay. have recording to do as well. The reason okay. I'm coming to Texas is to work on my next album, right. uh, my my producer's in Austin, and we're going to do some more uh, – well, my co-producer. Uh, we're going to do some more recording over the next month. Uh, but okay. I thought I'd throw in a few shows in there. So we're, okay. we're open to an Austin or a San Antonio show if there's – if someone's game. But uh, no one's been clamoring for it because okay. I play in Austin a lot. So <laughs> Okay. Well, we we may have to work out where you can come to the house here and we'll, we'll – um... You know, we'll we'll barbecue and we'll have you do some music. So I think that would be awesome. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. So Marion, I, I know I've taken you a long time. I, a couple of other questions. What? When did you start using the typewriter and why? And I think that is so fun how you use that as a percussion instrument. Uh, typewriter is sort of a, a totem for me. It makes sense. I'm I'm kind of old fashioned. I told you I grew up just listening to classical music and jazz, right? I'm kind of, you know, old-fashioned and vanilla and uh, and very, very into words and literature. And the typewriter just felt right. And it makes this amazing sound that is disappearing from, you know, can you imagine every office, maybe you can remember, you know, every yeah. office just filled with the sound of typewriters. Because that was, you know, that was an important sound to me growing up. I uh, I learned to type on a typewriter and... So I decided to play it in this one song, and then I started playing it in a bunch of my songs, and then I started touring with them. And now I have, like, seven typewriters, and I don't have anywhere to put them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I won't ask you for – and you're welcome to if you want to share a couple of songs of your own you're really proud of. But is there other music that you really have connected with that mean a great deal to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, the I don't think I knew that there was such a thing as independent singer songwriters. And I I see I keep hearing people say, especially famous people uh, will say, you know, oh, there's no good music these days. But clearly they're just listening to the top 40 because there's more music now than there has ever been. There's yes. just, there's there's every imaginable kind of music. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, my favorite thing to do is kind of troll around Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Um do, have you used that website ever? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah. Bandcamp is a great place to find music because you can listen to it for free. Complete, you know, it's a it's a streaming right thing site. But then when you purchase an album, um, you're actually you know supporting the person who makes it, which streaming doesn't do. Yeah. And I found so many amazing artists there. I like um, I love Lake Street Dive. I love Bell's Atlas. I love. Um, uh, Let's see, who else have I been listening to? Anna and the Underbelly. And uh, I listen to a lot of Andrew Bird. I really love Andrew Bird. Um, uh, yeah, there's just, there's so much good stuff there. And I'm I'm a big fan of all the weird little offbeat voices that there's now room in the world 
that they could, you know, there's no space in the world for the weirdos to be heard as well as the mainstream. And I love it. It's great. So I try and listen to a lot of weirdos. <laughs> that, well, good, good for that. I think we need to support that. Um, Marion, where, so we can find you at MarionCall.com, correct? Yeah. And at, uh, and on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere, just look for Marion Call, uh, or, you know, just send a picture of a typewriter to uh, to Alaska and the post office will know it's for me. And <laughs> uh, what else am I at? I'm, I'm on Bandcamp. All of my music is on Bandcamp. Okay. You can hear all of it for free. Um, I'm also on YouTube. Probably the first thing that will come up is a weird video I did of a David Bowie song uh, like a little over a year ago <laughs> with some friends. We did a version of um, of uh, Space Oddity. Oh. That we did a Sweden version of Space Oddity for nerds that was very strange, and it took off for some reason. And so that's probably the first thing that'll pop up. But you'll also find a bunch of other uh, songs and videos on there. <laughs> um, there are. Um, uh, we love. Uh, I wish I was a real Alaskan girl. Um, it is always fun to have Jane on your side. I know that is not one you wrote, but you kind of took it mm -hmm. and made it your own. Um, so many other great songs. I know this is going to be like picking your children, but <laughs> if, if what, which of your albums would you recommend them getting first to get a good feel for your mm -hmm. music? Because I love Got to Fly. I would the live in Europe is really well. And Linda loves something fierce. So <laughs> what do you uh, think? I think it depends who I'm recommending to. Okay. If you, if you like the live acoustic raw feeling, you know, then I would go with live in Europe because that has the most songs on it. And it's got me with my, one of my guitarists, Scott Barkin, who's just a ridiculous shredding, incredible guitarist. If you like great guitar work, he's as good as it gets with acoustic. He's just brilliant. Um, and, uh, but if you like a studio record, which is my preference, um, uh, the nerdy stuff is on Got to Fly, the the uh, sort of Battlestar Galactica and Firefly and nerd stuff. And Something Fierce is personal and autobiographical and I think my best work to date. That's the one that's got my heart and soul and blood and sweat and tears in it is Something Fierce. So for someone who's never heard my stuff before and has no context for who I am, I always recommend Something Fierce. Okay. Very nice. That was a long answer. I'm sorry. I can no, 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 no. That was a great answer, and uh, it is wonderful. Um, <laughs> and I, I cannot recommend to my listeners enough. Marion is is amazing live. I love all of her music, and I am thrilled that she took time to visit with me. So, um, we, and we'll cut this out if you don't have anything uh, fun to say. Any thoughts on Bruce Springsteen? Since this is a Bruce Springsteen podcast, some of the times. Oh, thoughts on Bruce Springsteen? Um, I there's as a performer who tours pretty hard. The thing I admire most about him is his just his energy, openness, happiness, his sense of joy at performing, and how long he plays, and how much he wants to give his audience. Like that, I, that's something I want to emulate. You know, and. Yeah, he's he always looks like he's having more fun than anyone else who's been making music that long. 
Uh, I also have this strong association between him and this previous relationship of mine. So, you, but it you know it ended amicably. So okay, but you know how that goes is when you have a certain musician or album that yes. like brings you right back into some ex-boyfriend or some ex-girlfriend and it's yeah. like nope, that's that's one of those <laughs> oh that's interesting i will not uh -huh. pursue any further but i i oh, appreciate no, it was all good. It was i good. i think that's funny <laughs> though because i wonder um and don't get me wrong i i you know i will you know I try to see Sarah Hickman anytime she comes to Dallas and she'll do an hour and a half, two hour show. And it's, it's, I, I have a blast. Um, I go to sometimes bigger shows like James Taylor or Brad Paisley, you know, a big, someone of national 90 minute set. Mm -hmm. And when you look at Bruce at 66 doing three hours and 30 minutes, yes. you're just like, do you think, only another performer really gets how hard that is? <laughs> um, I think, well, either how hard or how easy. I mean, if I had the vocal stamina and if I had an entire crew taking care of me and feeding me yeah. right and, and taking care of my every need, um, hell, I'd play three hours and 30 minutes a night if I could. Yeah. yeah. If I had a band, you know, to fill out the time and so I didn't have to sing every second and talk every second. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because you want to give the audience that much when they're a good audience. And I'm sure he has a good audience every night, you know. It is um, it is kind of fun to see how much joy he seems to be having. Um, you can tell he's not just going through the motions, and that's that's kind of mm -hmm. cool to see. Someone that's been doing it that long still loves it. Well, and you know, I think it gives you a lot back. A good audience gives you a lot, you know, yes. in return. And I, it, it, I don't. Like right now, I haven't played any shows in a while because I'm working on a record. So I'm sitting yeah. at home and moving way from Pro Tools trying to make the new record start sounding like something. And uh, uh, my fiance will observe, uh, you get so grumpy when you haven't done a concert in a while because they really, like, they cheer you up and they lift you up and they force you to be a kind of slightly happier version of yourself. And you know how when you smile a little bit and then you start feeling better? I mean, that's concerts really, I think, do that for you if you have a stage persona that's a happy one so and i you are a joy to watch on stage and i can see that give and take <laughs> that you're you're getting the energy from the audience as you're sending out you know right the beatles right the love you take oh, is yeah. equal to love you make right or I oh, always man. get that wrong. Well, I'm lucky. I have the best audiences. They give a lot, and that makes it easy. Thank you so much, Marian. I appreciate it. So I'm going to see you at the middle of about almost a month from now uh, in Capel. Let's have you back when the album's ready to go, and we'll Absolutely. kind of promote about that. How's that sound? That sounds fantastic. All right. Thank you, Marian. <laughs> Talk so to you Jeff. soon. And there we yeah, go. Thank you. with you today good evening son i'll see you soon awake on my own terms lately who's to say we're upside down who's to say we're falling if we miss the ground who's to say we're going nowhere if we like spinning around and round
Take a big swing. What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions, and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.